Antihypertensives. These are the major ways. These are the major ways that we can lower blood pressure. So this should look kind of like a review of the last slide from last week. We can inhibit sympathetic impulses. So inhibiting sympathetic impulses, we're going to inhibit the effects of what two things? Epinephrine and norepinephrine. Norepinephrine from? Nerves. Nerves. And epinephrine from? The adrenal gland. So we can inhibit contractility, we can inhibit heart rate, and we can inhibit vasoconstriction by inhibiting those things. We'll talk about these a little bit later on. We can also inhibit smooth muscle function. And the way we can do that is by inhibiting calcium channels. We can also inhibit the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, and we can inhibit renal retention of water. Have we already learned about drugs that will do this? What are they called? Diuretics. What is the major one that we use for blood pressure? Not Lasix. Hydrochlorothiazide, better known as HCTZ. You can use Lasix for blood pressure, but it's not a very good one for blood pressure, unless the person has what condition? Renal impairment or insufficiency. All right, so here's a list of classes. So diuretics, we've already talked about. We're going to start off with ACE inhibitors. Yay. All right, renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system inhibitors. So how many steps along the way do we have? What's the first thing to be released? Renin, and what, or renin, and what releases it? The kidney. Now, renin will cause what to turn into what? Angiotensinogen to turn into angiotensin 1. And then from there, we convert angiotensin 1 to angiotensin 2 with what enzyme? ACE, also known as angiotensin-converting enzyme. All right, so we can inhibit renin directly. We call these direct renin antagonists. And there is a new drug on the market that was approved earlier this year or late last year. We're not going to make you know it. We're just going to make you know that it's out there. So you got that? No, you don't even need to know its name. You can look it up. If I tell you, I'm going to have to test you on it. Okay. Now, angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors, also known as ACE inhibitors, are the most common ones you're going to see. We can also inhibit angiotensin receptors, which are called angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs. Yeah. Wash out the soul force. <laughs> By the way, I saw you guys over there, you know, tossing your hair and looking pretty for the camera. Arlo was like, <laughs> she was feisty. All right, and then we have aldosterone inhibitors. Now, do we already know an aldosterone inhibitor? What's it called?
What's the name of the aldosterone inhibitor that we know of? I'll give you a hint. The first three letters are ALD. Aldactone, very good. So aldactone, also known as spironolactone, is an aldosterone inhibitor. Now, we said that it, when did we learn about it? When did we learn about aldosterone? What, what class were we talking about? Um, no. With the kidneys, and that's called diuretics. And what class did we say it what belonged to? Potassium sparing. So it's considered a potassium sparing diuretic. Now, did we say it worked well for that? Did it produce a lot of urine? No, it was very weak, in fact. But we said it's useful because it inhibits aldosterone. So you remember that. And there's another one we're going to learn about today that's not considered a diuretic at all because it's such a weak diuretic. All right, to refresh your memory, angiotensinogen is produced by the liver. Angiotensin 1 is comes from that, and we need renin from the kidney. Angiotensin 1 is converted to angiotensin 2 by, which is produced in the lungs. So this is a very team effort here, which in turn causes activation of receptors, AT1, 2, and 3 receptors. It, ACE will also cause bradykinins to turn into inactive substances. Now, we know of two receptor types for angiotensin 2. Angiotensin 2 type 1 receptors, called AT1, cause vasoconstriction. Do this. Vasoconstriction. What's that going to do to blood pressure? It's going to make it go up. If we inhibit that, what's going to happen? You're going to cause vasodilation and blood pressure will go back down. The next one is, is going to cause increased catecholamine release. What are the two catecholamines? The two major ones. Epi and norepi. So if we get more epi and norepi release, what's that going to do? It's going to constrict arteries and it's going to cause the heart to pump harder and faster. What will that do to blood pressure? Make it go up. It will also cause cardiac and smooth muscle cell proliferation. Now, it doesn't do this directly. It does this through aldosterone. And then it's also going to cause sodium and fluid retention via aldosterone. So every single one of these effects serves to make blood pressure go up. Now, type 2 receptors are different, and they cause the opposite effect a little bit. But we don't really worry about these, so you can ignore them. They're just there for you in the body. No, on blood, on blood vessels. No, you don't need to know that. You don't, you just, it's just there for, when, for the future. You've seen it, now you can forget it. The important thing is the receptor 1 blockers because that's what we're going to inhibit later on. All right, so the first drug we're going to talk about that inhibits that system is ACE inhibitors. 
They're going to inhibit angiotensin II production. They are also going to inhibit bradykinin breakdown. So we're going to have more bradykinin. We're going to have less angiotensin II. Both of those things lead to decreased blood pressure because we have vasodilated. All right, so we're going to use it in hypertension. Question there? Okay. So we're going to use it for hypertension. We're going to use it in patients who've had an MI. What's an MI? What does that mean? Heart attack. We're going to use it to prevent heart attacks in high-risk patients. And we're also going to use it to prevent and treat nephropathy in patients who have diabetes. We can also use it for heart failure. So we're going to talk about the MI and the heart failure after the midterm. But keep that in your head. The ACE inhibitors can be used for it. All right, now this particular slide right here is just in case in the future sometimes you'll hear someone say, well, this is a tissue ACE inhibitor. And you go, what? I never heard about that. And then you look it up in your book, and it's not there either. All it is is to say is that ACE is more common in tissue than it is in the blood itself. And so some drugs are distributed more in tissue than they are in blood. And so the theory is that those will work better. So if you hear, oh, this is a tissue ACE, that's it. That's it's not going to be on your test, and you're not gonna, I'm never going to test you on it. It's just in case you hear that sometime, you'll go, oh, yeah, that's what they were talking about. All right, here are the list of ACE inhibitors. What do you notice that they have in, in common? Pril, 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 pril. Okay, so anytime you see a drug that ends in pril, you're going to know ACE inhibitor. Now, the one that you have to know for your must-know drug list is lisinopril. Now, it's a unique drug in that it does not require activation in the liver. All of the rest of these have to be activated in the liver first before they start working. Um, this drug right here used to be the drug that uh, the VA used, so I made you memorize it then, just in case you went to the VA, but now the VA has switched back to lisinopril, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, two others that you need to know, enlalapril can be given IV, and so you'll, if you work on a cardiac floor, you'll see that one quite a bit, or enlalapril. It's... it's uh, Brand, it's, yeah, brand name is Vasotech, if you care. In Lalapril, what's its claim to fame? It can be given IV. So sometimes you'll see it on uh, cardiac floors where people are going NPO or people have surgery, etc. The last one that we need to know something about is Captopril. It is the very, very first one that we ever discovered. It has a very, very short half-life, and it's really not used for treating patients anymore. What we use it now for, what we use it for now sometimes is to detect renal artery stenosis. So let's imagine for a moment that you had um, 
renal artery stenosis. What does that mean? Here's your heart. What's this thing coming off it? An aorta. And what's the first thing that comes off of the abdominal aorta? The renal arteries. And then we get kidneys from them, right? Something like that. Now let's imagine for a moment that you had a blockage in one of these arteries. What is that going to do to blood flow here? It's going to be decreased. So what is this kidney going to start doing? What? It's going to start releasing renin like crazy. What's that going to give our patient? High blood pressure. So that increased pressure here, what's that going to do to the blood right here? It's going to push more of that blood pressure into this kidney. So what this kidney is doing is it's keeping itself alive at the expense of the rest of the body. Now, because captopril has such a short half-life, well, actually, if you give any ACE inhibitor, what's going to happen to this pressure right here? It's going to go down, and what's going to happen to this pressure right in here? It's going to go down, and what's going to happen to that kidney? It's, beginning, it's going to go into insufficiency, possibly failure. Now, if we have a patient who's got renal artery stenosis, and you just put them on ACE inhibitors, they're going to go into renal failure eventually. So one of the things we want to do sometimes is make sure our patients do not have this before we put them on it. Now, in today's modern society, how do we know whether someone's got renal artery stenosis or not? What do we do? No. That's not going to detect, that, that would detect like a kidney infection or a kidney stone. You could do an ultrasound, but there's something better. Okay, you can listen for a renal brewery, and that would tell you that maybe something's going on. But what would you really do if you really want to get a good look at an artery? Okay, you could inject a dye, but let's think of something non-invasive. Non-invasive. Say again? An MRI. And when we take an MRI of an artery, what do we call that? MRA. Stands for Magnetic Resonance angiogram. And you guys learned that in health assessment. Oh yes. Oh yes. We talked about it in health assessment. Now let me ask you this question. How much does an MRA cost? Mucho dinero. How much money does it cost to give them a little bit of captopril and check the creatinine levels? A lot less. Now with MRAs, they don't like to do it as often, but you can check for renal artery stenosis by giving the patient captopril and then checking creatinine levels to see if it goes up. So that's the only reason you really need to know captopril. It was the first one, but we don't use it for treatment anymore. Why don't we use it for treatment? Because it's too short acting. But why does that make it perfect for testing for renal artery stenosis? Yeah, because if it does cause creatinine levels to go up, it's going to wear off in an hour or two, and you don't have to wait and monitor the person for 24 hours. So that's the only reason why we would use that one nowadays. So we only need to know the top Yes, so you only need to know the top three. Captopril, used for testing. Elalopril, IV. IV, but 
it has to be given twice a day. So yes, ma'am. If Okay, now, if, if, if creatinine is high all the time, that means you have renal insufficiency. Okay. If, you give, if you give captopril and they go spike up, that's going to be renal insufficiency. So you would check your um, creatinine before and after? And after. Okay, and that does remind me of one small thing. Some people... Their creatinine levels here. You give them an ACE inhibitor, it goes up a little bit, and then it kind of comes back down. That's okay. What we're talking about is when it goes like this and it stays up. See the difference? Right. So, captopril, what do we use it for? Check for renal artery stenosis. But you're not going to see it used very often because. No. Because MRAs work better, even though they cost more money. I know this is redundant now, but we're looking for a spike then to check for a positive renal artery stenosis. Right. But if you see a transient spike, because like, so if you put a person on lisinopril, a normal person might go up a little bit, but just a little bit, and then it comes right back down, that's okay. What we're talking about is a big jump that stays high. Okay, enlalapril, IV, lisinopril, the most common one, and it's generic, so it's relatively inexpensive. All right, next one, adverse events. Now, in addition to inhibiting the production of, a, of angiotensin II, it is also going to prevent the breakdown of bradykinins. Now, where is ACE produced? in the lungs. So you're going to get a bradykinin excess in the lungs, which may lead to a dry, persistent cough. So if you have a patient who says, you know, I, I started having this cough and it won't go away and I've tried the cough syrups and it doesn't help, what are you going to think? Let me check your medications and if you're on an ACE inhibitor, that might be the problem. How would we know? Take them off the ACE inhibitor and see if it gets better. The key thing is it will be dry. If it's wet, <coughs> to it, not the ACE inhibitor. Or at least the wetness is not from the ACE inhibitor. If it goes away with cough syrup, it's not an ACE inhibitor cough. It's dry and it's persistent. The other thing that bradykinin excess can cause is angioedema. And what is angioedema? Angioedema. Basically, what she said is that bradykinin causes high blood, causes low blood pressure because it causes vasodilation. When we inhibit ACE inhibitors, we get more of them. But if we have too much of them, that can cause dry cough. And it can also cause angioedema. What is angioedema? You're supposed to think about a certain person. Hitch. That, that swelling up. And a very common place for angioedema is the lips. So if you have a patient who's on ACE inhibitor and they start getting these swelling, especially on around their lips, what are you going to think? Angioedema. Now, can we leave a patient on an ACE inhibitor if they've got the cough? 
Yes, but it's a huge pain in the butt, and you should probably take it off. But is it life-threatening? No. no. Is angioedema life-threatening? Possibly yes. So that person who's got angioedema should be taken off the ACE inhibitor, and should we just put them on a different one? No. no. They should never take ACE inhibitors again because there is a chance it could eventually lead to anaphylaxis. Now, another couple uh, adverse effects. First dose hypertension, hypotension. So the first time a patient takes it, it can really drop their blood pressure. So generally speaking, you want to start with a lower dose and then move up to higher doses. You don't want to start them off at a high dose, especially if they are elderly. Because if they're elderly, what can that make them do? Fall. And what elderly people tend to have is another disease. Osteoporosis. So when you ha have a patient with osteoporosis and you give them that first high dose of an ACE inhibitor and it bottoms out their blood pressure and they get dizzy and they fall, they break their hip and 25% of them are going to die in the first year. So let's not do that to our patients. So monitor, tell the patient on the first dose, sometimes some people, their blood pressure really goes down low. So if you feel tired, if you feel dizzy, if you feel like, you know, like the world is spinning around you, don't get up, stay sitting down. If you're lying down, if you're standing or you're sitting up, before you get up, you want to dangle your feet for a little while. After you get up, hold on for a few seconds, make sure you're okay, then go do whatever it is you're doing. Hyperkalemia. Now, when we suppress aldosterone, because what does angiotensin 2 do? What does angiotensin 2 do? What's the first, what does it do directly to arteries? Vasoconstrict. And then it causes the sympathetic stuff. And what's the last thing we said it does? It increases aldosterone. So if we inhibit aldosterone secretion because we've got less angiotensin 2, what can that do to potassium? It can make it go up. So if you've got a patient who's on, on a potassium, let's say they're on um, hydrochlorothiazide. What's the adverse effect of hydrochlorothiazide? ACTZ. What's the most important side effect you need to remember? Hypokalemia. So what would we do for a patient who's got hypokalemia? Give them potassium. All right, so they're on, on hydrochlorothiazide and potassium, and now their physician decides, I want to add lisinopril. <coughs> what do we need to think about? Potassium. They might probably should stop taking the potassium for a day or two until we see what the effect of the diuretic plus the ACE inhibitor are. They might cancel each other out, and the patient won't need any additional potassium anymore. So you don't know until you check. Renal failure, um, only with renal stenosis. And we talked about how you can check with that with uh, Captopril. Also, if you're planning on becoming pregnant, or if you have a woman who is at risk for becoming pregnant because of stupidity or willful behavior, they should not be on an ACE inhibitor. Now, what do I mean by stupid or willful, ignorant or willful behavior? You know, teenagers think they can't get pregnant doing the only thing that can make them pregnant. Do you, you know that? 
-hmm. Teenagers think they cannot get pregnant while they're doing the one thing that can make them pregnant. So if you have a patient who is irresponsible or we all know just some people are just not as reliable as other people, that person should not be on a NACE inhibitor. Because if they do get pregnant, what can happen? Now, and it's not always people you would think. I have a friend who worked in healthcare. Uh, she had a bachelor's degree in biology or something. She was dating a medical student and he came up for a party. They got a little too drunk. She ended up pregnant. And she was on warfarin, which can cause fetal deformities. So it's not just, you know, oh my, you know, the people you would think about. It's not just a teenager. It's not just an alcoholic. You know, normal people who should be otherwise be responsible can end up pregnant just by. What? How does it hurt them? Well, okay, well, the good news is most teenagers don't have hypertension. That's the, that's the first thing. If they're, a woman of, if they're a woman of childbearing years, they need to be someone who's taking regular contraceptive or is not in a sexual relationship and who understands that if they do start a sexual relationship, they need to make sure they're taking contraceptives. What's the, what's the best contraceptive in terms of reliability? Uh, okay. <laughs> For someone who's having sex. Oral contraceptives, or just generally any hormonal one, are the best. But what's their failure rate? Well, they have, like a, they have a success rate of about 99% real world, which still means if you've got 100 million women possibly taking them, that's still like a million unexpected pregnancies. So just make sure that they understand that if they get pregnant, they need to stop taking immediately because it can cause injury to the fetus. Was that baby all right? Yes, the baby is all right. The baby is now like four years old. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, this little diagram just says, you know, when you block ACE, you're going to get low angiotensin and that's going to result in these things. This uh, decreased blood volume, decreased cardiac vascular remodeling and uh, potassium retention are all due to what? What are these things all due to? All due to lower aldosterone. And then over here, we're going to get more bradykinin, which is going to cause vasodilation. Is that good? Yes. And it's going to cause a cough, possibly. Is that good? No. And angioedema? No. 